Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Frankenstein. Frankenstein was written by Mary Shelley and was published in 1818. And the film adaptation we are discussing this time, Frankenstein, came out in 1931 and was directed by James Whale. And I think this is the oldest movie that I we're talking so. about. I think so. I don't think we've done an older movie than 1931. We did Rebecca, which was 1940. Um, but this is much older than that, which is pretty cool. I know. I think any farther back, we'll start running into the uh, the silent film era. So Yeah. And welcome to Spooky Month. We've got some spooky content for all of our listeners, both regular listeners and also Patreon. Fun fact, though... This idea to do our Frankenstein episode came from our patrons on Discord because we have a Discord channel um, or server, sorry, for... Get with the lingo, (laughs) Adina. It's a server. (laughs) We have a Discord server (laughs) for our patrons. And, you know, Ian and I were asking, like, we really want to do some spooky content for the month of October. Any suggestions? And some of our patrons were like, do Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, So if you want to get in on that Discord discussion... And, you know, get all of the other great content available to you from us. Join our Patreon. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will also be doing a bonus episode tied to this one. Yeah. Where we will discuss the sequel to this film, The Bride of Frankenstein. And the iconic parody film, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. So it's going to be a good combo. We're going to be discussing both of them in our bonus episode. And... Anybody who donates to our Patreon, even at the $1 level, gets access to all that, all those bonus episodes. So definitely check it out. It's going to be a fun Frankenstein-filled month. Yes, and we'll be doing another spooky episode coming up as well, so... Look forward to that! Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Frankenstein, just such an iconic classic story. Yeah, we're literally talking about two pieces of... Um, culture that were incredibly groundbreaking at the time. We have the book that essentially invented invented the science fiction genre. Yeah. And then we have a movie. That basically invented the horror genre. Yeah. A film like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really wild how. And both were immediate huge successes too. Yeah. They weren't like more appreciated as the years went on or anything like that. Like no. they were like hugely influential yeah and did does this is this the origin of like the kind of like monster myth that you like sympathize with them a little bit so like the Mm. misunderstood monster storyline i mean probably which is ironic given it's such an old monster story you know what i mean like one of the and probably why it was you know so great was because it went beyond just being like a creepy vampire tale or you know what i mean with just a generic monster it was like in the book frankenstein was a character mm-hmm. and even in the film like it wasn't just uh like a monster or, or ghoul or something you know what i mean yeah so, yeah yeah i would definitely probably agree with that all right so we have a lot to discuss so let's get right into the book a lot of books around this time have this interesting frame narration to them It's not just the story taking place. It's either told through letters or someone else telling the story to someone else. And that's where that term frame narration comes from. It's like this 
um, holding in of the story. And we start out in this book with a man who is trying to explore the Arctic Ocean, which is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm trying to find a way from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean by going through the North Pole, which is covered in ice most of the year. But if I go during the summer, there might be a way through. And I'm like, no one would ever be able to use it except like one month out of the year. Yeah. He's also very like kind of vague about his goals. Like, I think he wants to like study the stars and stuff. Yeah. Um, But like overall, it just comes across like this really blind ridiculous ambition yeah but i will say like what seems like at first kind of this really random framing device Mm -hmm. i do think ties in really nicely into victor's story as we find out more about him later Mm -hmm. and he's the what's the sailor's name like walton or something yeah he's writing letters to his sister which is how our story is being told and he comes across two men in um dog sleds that are like racing across the ice and they eventually are able to help the the second man who is clearly in danger of like falling into the ice. Yeah, and is just very sickly and tired. And they manage to kind of nurse him back to health. And Walton is immediately drawn to this person because Walton has um, conveyed to his sister his feelings of kind of like loneliness and wanting a friend, just a really good male friend. Yeah, you know someone what I mean? intellectual. Yeah. And hot. <laughs> and hot. <laughs> It wouldn't hurt if they were hot, too. Um, but so he's immediately drawn to kind of Frankenstein's charisma. Yeah. This the, the second man is Frankenstein, if we didn't say that. Yeah. Dr. Frankenstein. And after they talk briefly and Walton tells him about his kind of ambition of exploring the, the Arctic, Frankenstein begins to tell him his tale. Yeah. Because there's kind of this connection established. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Frankenstein's early life, because then we switch to Frankenstein's narration. And he talks about growing up in a pretty wealthy family. His parents end up adopting this young girl into their family and raising her as a daughter. But they he calls her cousin, but also his parents want them to get married when they're older. I know. And it's very confusing and incestuous. It is, because like... By all intents and purposes, she should be more like a sister to him. Yeah. But the parents are like, no, let's call her a cousin. That way we can get them to marry each other. And it's like <laughs> less weird if they're cousins. <laughs> but they are very close with each other. Like they do have a like a natural rapport. It's yeah. not just like their parents like forcing them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still weird. Yeah. And Victor Frankenstein has a BFF. His name is Henry They grow up together. They're both really interested in getting an education. But unfortunately, Victor is the one who's sent to college and Henry has to stay behind. Yeah. And Victor kind of becomes interested in his youth with alchemy. Yes. Which this is like super interesting because like he's kind of reading these old books on the subject, which... You know, most people at that time could have been like, and no one believes in this anymore. Or like, this has all been disproven. Talking about like um, the elixir of life, um, the philosopher's stone, Mm -hmm. things like that. So kind of not knowing anything, he becomes like really interested in these topics and reads a lot about them and pursues uh, a a career or future in the sciences. Mm -hmm. But when he gets to school and he tells his professors about alchemy, they're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) You have to unlearn everything right now. 
But it seems like he's a good student because, you know, he gets really into chemistry yeah. and those types of sciences and starts to really excel in that area. I do think the alchemy aspect is interesting, though, because, like, he Frankenstein kind of talks about how, like, alchemy has these really grand and lofty pursuits. Yeah. Like creating everlasting life and yeah. that kind of thing. The everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> <laughs> Bold ideas, Adina. Um, whereas it's interesting because science is much more just kind of discovering and experimenting and kind of like seems much simpler in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have these like grand goals or ambitions, but like I think we can see how alchemy influenced Frankenstein even into his scientific uh, education. Well, and also kind of being like, is that madness? Yeah. To try to pursue those really like impossible and maybe like things that you shouldn't pursue. Well, and, and the process is totally different because science is more kind of just like experimenting and discovering how elements, chemicals, cells, things work. And then applying them later to be like, you know what? We could actually use this yeah. for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's never like the goal of like, okay, I want to cure cancer. And you're starting from ground zero and you're like, what do I do? Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's totally different goals in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he at some point discovers the secret to life. And we are not let in on this secret at all, <laughs> which I find very cool and interesting. And smart from a narrative perspective. Very smart. And I actually really love how ambiguous this all is because, you know, when we all think of Frankenstein, we think of the movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. We think of a uh, thunderstorm, lightning, electricity. We think of, you know, a man with a head bolted on and like sewn on skin. But we really like... We're given a little bit of description of the creature that Frankenstein creates, but really we're like unsure of how he made him. Yeah. Like we do know that he made him out of human parts, but also animal parts. Yeah. Or what specifically his feet, like he's described as being human, but also like way different. Yeah. Like a different species. Yeah. And, you know, he talks about not, disclosing how he brought him to life with Walton. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also kind of wonder if he's withholding these details to preserve information. And also probably because he's like really traumatized by everything and like doesn't want to overly describe or talk about it. Yeah. And also being like, I can never let anyone else know how it's done. Yeah. So that it can never be done again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It's like super fascinating. It's very vague. And he's basically doing this like in his college dorm room. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. He has like this rented apartment, but it's basically like while he's going to college, And what's interesting, too, is how obsessive he becomes about this. Yeah. And because he's telling the story, looking back, he offers a lot of perspective when he's telling the story. So he says, and I love this part, he talks about how, like, he stopped really eating, going outside, like, seeing his friends or doing anything. Like, he was just obsessed with creating this life and reflecting back and saying, like, I actually think... Anything that obsesses you so much that you stop paying attention to, like, the simple joys of, like, living um, is unhealthy and bad. Yeah, and he relates it to, like, also larger concepts like colonizing and, like, how uh, America was just kind of completely dominated by, you know, Europeans and, like, the Amer- Americans mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, just kind of, like, all these, like, 
like the small and the large in terms of like the human experience. It's it's a really good part. Yeah, and once the creature is created, as soon as he comes to life, Frankenstein is immediately like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately. And this is so funny to me because literally he's like, I had to make him huge, right? Like <laughs> I had to make him huge. I had to make this massive chunk of a man, right? Like he's eight feet tall. Yeah. And I'm guessing the rest of his body is pretty proportionate to that height. And he's like, I did it because of like this thing, this thing, all practical reasons. I thought he was really beautiful. I was like crafting him in this special way. And then as soon as he opens his eyes, he's like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like he just became so obsessed and it was just this mission, this like finish line he was trying to cross. And mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing is, you know, I, I watched a lot of videos kind of analyzing this story and a lot of them referred to, you know, Frankenstein's failed experiment. Yeah. But I think the most interesting thing is that like he didn't fail. No. He succeeded. The failure was he had no plans beyond just bringing a thing to life. You know, and I watched another video that was comparing this to, like, every other, like, artificial intelligence story that's been told since then. Mm, Yeah. So they, like, specifically brought up, like, Ex Machina and other stories about um, AI. Mm, Yeah. And that idea of, like, you're just creating because you're obsessed with the idea of creating and becoming, like, God. Yeah. And then your decision immediately backfires on you. Yeah, there's like no specific application. There's not really a specific a goal. A reason. A reason, yeah. And then when you are when you have this thing, it's like, oh shit, I have no idea what to do with it. What am I doing? And what I've done to like myself and like the world. Yeah. I also want to talk about, so Mary Shelley wrote this book um, when she was like 18 or 19 um, took a couple years to like write, like fully write it out and publish it. But she actually got the idea when she and some friends and her lover were actually traveling in Switzerland. So the store, like the area where the story was set, and it was um, this really horrible summer, like raining all the time. It was actually due to a volcanic eruption that was causing um, really bad weather during the summertime. Mm. And so she and her friends had to stay inside during their trip because it was just really crappy outside. So they were telling each other ghost stories. And they kind of challenged each other to come up with an interesting ghost story. And all of them were creative, were writers, were poets, had that background. And Mary Shelley talked about in her introduction to this book, um, like I kept trying to think of a good ghost story, couldn't think of one, couldn't think of one. And then one night, her lover Percy and his friend Lord Byron were talking about recent um, scientific achievements in galvanism and electricity. Yes, yeah, I'd read about this too. And they were talking about, like, is this the secret to life? Could it be? And she was just so fascinated by that conversation. She went to bed, couldn't sleep, and had, like, a literal, like, vision. Oh, my God. Or, like, kind of this idea that popped into her head of a scientist and bringing a creature to life seeing it come alive and instantly being horrified by what he saw. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And I can't believe that she was like fucking 18. Yeah. When she wrote this or, or came up with this idea or wrote it. That's I know. so insane. I know. Yeah, I had read about the um, experiments you're talking about where they were running electricity through corpses or pieces of bodies. Yeah. 
uh, and finding that the muscles were contracting and moving. Mm -hmm. And they even did this to a man who had been executed for murder. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because that kind of ties into the film, yeah. that idea more than even the book. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they were uh, running electricity through him and seeing like the face contour and the body move. And they were essentially wondering like, hey, maybe we can like bring him back to life. Yeah. They didn't, by no. the way. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. It did not work. <laughs> but I mean, people use that, you know, if someone has like a heart attack or something. Yeah. Like an, um, what do you Dysrhythmia. call Dysrhythmia. Right? Yeah, 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 or palpitation, or yeah. Um, what what are those things called? The defibrillators. Oh, de yes, it yeah. literally runs electricity through you to like restart your heart, which is uh kind of the same idea, but obviously you can't just do that to any uh dead person and bring them back to life. <laughs> Thankfully, thank, thank God. <laughs> uh, Frankenstein freaks out once this happens and actually like runs away. Yeah, and then. Comes back and the monster's not there. And he's like, oh, thank God he's gone. He's probably dead. And then he and then the monster comes back and Frankenstein freaks out again. Yeah, this part confused me yeah. as to like, because at this point I didn't realize his lab was like kind of basically in his apartment. Yeah. Um. So how the monster had found him in the apartment had confused me. Mm -hmm. And then he like appears just briefly and like smiles and then he's like gone again. Yeah. And I'm like. Is the monster just roaming around this college campus? Like, is he at a party doing uh, keg stands? And like, what's <laughs> happening right now? Where is he? Yeah, but then the monster's gone again. And Frankenstein's friend Henry arrives and is like, hey, what's up? You look terrible. And Frankenstein is like, I'm great. I'm great. I'm so awesome. You know what? It's been it's been just like a really great time. I'm just I'm just. And then he like passes out. <laughs> college is great. It's great. <laughs> And poor Henry is like, hey, I've come here to go to college. My best friend collapses and is literally on, on death's door because he's been pushing his body and <laughs> mind to the brink. Now I have to nurse him back to health See, instead of going to school <laughs> to get my education. You know, in college, when your friend is really dumb and parties way too hard one night and then you have to be responsible for like nursing them back to health and like reviving them. This is the 1800s version of that <laughs> where you're where you have like a fever and you're ill for like six months straight. Yeah. 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 1800s version. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie now, though. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about them kind of in chunks because they are so different. They're extremely different. Mm -hmm. uh, the movie begins in a super interesting way. Yeah. Uh, considering that like, this is before horror was even considered a genre in film. Yeah. So the movie begins with, and I think it's the actor who plays uh, the doctor. Okay. Uh, he shows up in front of a curtain and he's like, hey, so this is going to be weird and creepy. Uh, it's going to, let me, let me sell you on this movie that you've already bought a ticket, a, for. A ticket for and you're sitting in the theater. Let me sell you on it. Okay. Yeah. It's spooky. It's creepy. It's, you know, but like if, if you get the, the vapors, you know, don't worry, like you're okay. And he like is basically just cautioning the audience. Yeah. He's like, this is going to be weird. Maybe leave. <laughs> And this kind of reminds me of um, The Exorcist. Remember mm. how like we were reading about, because we weren't alive when The Exorcist came out, that like people were like passing out. Oh, yeah. It's same with Jaws. Yeah. When Jaws came out, people like freaked out in, in the theaters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, a guy gives you like a stern warning before the movie, even like before any production company nope. logos or anything, any credits. It's He's just like, a guy. This is your chance to go. <laughs> okay. Last chance. 
All right, we're starting the All movie. All right, let's go. <laughs> um, but the movie begins, and we get a funeral scene, and uh, Frankenstein and his lab assistant, Fritz. Yes. Not Igor, but Fritz. Yes. Are watching. They're waiting to dig up this poor man who has just been buried. They even let the grave digger... Do all the work. <laughs> See, if I was them, I just would have knocked the grave digger I, exactly. out and then gotten or the body. Or paid the grave digger. Or pay, yeah, even better. <laughs> and he would have been like, yeah, you can pay me to stand here until the family leaves and then leave and let you take the body and then fill in the grave. Instead, they just watch him <laughs> fill the grave in with dirt and then they're like, all right. All right time for us to. Let's get the dirt out. <laughs> uh, they also... Um, Grab a man who had been hanged Mm -hmm. publicly, I think, and to harvest his body parts. But they still need a very fresh brain, a juicy brain. Yes, well preserved. And we see that there are two brain specimens at the college in Germany that they're near. Uh, One is a normal brain and one is a bad brain. They are labeled appropriately (laughs) normal and abnormal. Was it abnormal? Or criminal brain. Something (laughs) absurdly obvious. Yeah. Fritz, you you know, I think I think this is on Frankenstein. I think he should have known Fritz at this point. Oh, yeah. I should have looked at the label. He couldn't trust him. They were labeled, right? Yeah, because he brings him. He doesn't switch the labels. No, he brings him the entire jar. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess Frankenstein just never read the jar that Fritz brought him. Fritz is like, oh, I'm going to grab the normal brain, drops it, and then is like, okay, I'll get the abnormal brain. No one will know the difference. And I guess Frankenstein doesn't care. I guess. That's very true. I didn't even think about that. What's the story, though, with uh, Fritz and Igor? Adina, I genuinely am not totally sure. Really? So... Yeah, because I was, you know, everyone thinks of Frankenstein's lab assistant as being Igor, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, so at what point did Fritz become Igor? Because Fritz is like a hunchback lab assistant. Like, he is the character, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, then in The Son of Frankenstein... Uh, we're, there's an introduction of a character named Igor, but he's not a lab assistant and he's not really a hunchback either. Okay. And he returns in, I think, the ghost of Frankenstein, which was later. Wow. But also there's other characters who are named Igor in other, um, horror genre films. Okay. I don't know at what point everyone correlated Igor as the hunchback lab assistant to Frankenstein. Yeah. As, like, from what I read, because, I mean, I, I felt like I was reading a really long article, <laughs> and it didn't end with any conclusions. Everyone's like, it's a mystery. Because, like, it's so weird how everyone thinks of that. Yeah. And there's, like, almost, like, no basis for it. I read there was a play, like, some some kind of stage play adaptation of Frankenstein that maybe had the lab assistant being named Igor. Okay. Um, so maybe that's the origin <laughs> of it. But it's, like, very, it's very convoluted, and there's, like, no clear-cut, like, answer to it. Write to us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com if you know. Yes. Because I'd love to hear more about that. Well, maybe, I wonder if young Frankenstein, if the lab assistant's name is Igor. Mm, I think it is. Because that could have been kind yeah. of what really sealed it for it people. It could be, yeah. Because, I mean, that movie was so popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to talk about it further then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the story of Fritz slash not Igor. <laughs> And then we meet Elizabeth, uh, Frankenstein's uh, engaged 
fiance, engaged fiance, his fiance. <laughs> <laughs> and to make things really confusing, Frankenstein also has a best friend. His name is not Henry, it's Victor. And Frankenstein's first name is Henry. So literally, in the original story, it's Victor Frankenstein and his friend Henry. And then in this movie, they're like, ah, yes, Henry Frankenstein and his friend Victor. Why would anyone do this, Apparently, from what I read, (laughs) they thought Victor was just too harsh or unlikable of a name for American audiences. What? Yep. (laughs) Huge prejudice, I guess, against the name Victor. Oh, my God. Audiences would have just walked out of the theater. They would have been like, "He's his name is Victor." No, can't do it. But also, I mean, Frankenstein. When he's we unlikable. meet him, he's unlikable. Like we shouldn't be endeared to him. No, I don't. I don't understand. So I don't know what the thought process and like. Why not just give him a different, a name? totally different name? I don't know. It's like super weird. But they were just like, no, just switch the names. Oh my god. Uh, also, did you not just assume that Elizabeth? And the friend, I'm just going to call him the yeah. friend, we're totally going to get together. Oh, yeah. Like, like, were they were they fucking like? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, she's like, oh, I really love my fiance. And I'm like, do you, though? Yeah. <laughs> do you even know what he's like away in like a stormy castle assembling a dead body? And yeah. Do like, you know what he's doing? I can't wait to marry him. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> <laughs> um they do they are concerned about victor though they don't they're not quite sure where he is or what he's doing mm-hmm. they hunt down one of his colleagues from the university dr waldman yes who uh, discloses to them his ambitions to like create a uh humanoid and bring it to life artificially mm-hmm. and they're like oh well then we should probably go find him. <laughs> Maybe we should check on him. <laughs> Cut to the coolest set. So cool. In this movie, which is this old abandoned watchtower. Yeah. And it looks like it's made of stone. Like it does look like an old castle. And there's these like stone steps that are kind of spiraling up. Mm-hmm. There's these like kind of dungeon cells on the bottom. And then upstairs is the laboratory. I really love, they do a lot of really dramatic lighting in this film. Yeah. Um, And like the sets are kind of really dramatic. Their angles are really extreme and the lighting's really extreme. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's really cool. It's almost like, especially in, in the lab castle or watchtower set, like the actual layout or dimensions and angles of the rooms and everything like doesn't even matter. No. It's just like all for this really twisted, dramatic kind of vibe and it works so well. Yeah. And Frankenstein is about to bring his creature to life. He's got this uh, humanish form wrapped in bandages and on a table. And that's when Dr. Waldman, Elizabeth, and Victor show up, the friend. And he's like, oh, you're interrupting my work. He's such a dick to Elizabeth. I know. He's like, you'll ruin everything. Why did you come? (laughs) And she's like, oh, honey, I can't wait to marry you. You're so sweet and loving, and I, you're, you're just my favorite person. But he eventually invites them in because it's literally a thunderstorm outside, and they're like, we're really cold and wet. And he's like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I love that um, he kind of people. It's like it takes people doubting him. Yeah. 
for him to like, yeah, come on up to my laboratory. Mm -hmm. And he like lets them in, but then he won't let them near the body. And then they're like, I kind of forget what they say. Something that seems doubting once again. And he's yeah. like, yeah, why don't you look at it? Like, go ahead. And yeah. Just like. Call me crazy, yeah. will ya? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just have to say, Colin Clive, who plays Frankenstein, is so good in this role. He is. He really. Everyone else feels like kind of your typical actor from this time period. Like, kind of yeah. stiff, a little weird. But he just really delivers. He gets that, like, manic energy. Yeah. You know, where at one moment he is being really egotistical and talking about him being, like, a god, you yeah. know? And then the next moment he's, like, being really paranoid mm-hmm. and being like, you're going inter- to interrupt my work. You're calling me crazy. You don't understand. Like, I feel like the hair specifically, like the flippiness oh, the great. of the hair contributes to the his overall vibe. It's a good look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think he has a lot more subtlety in mm-hmm. his expressions and kind of what's going on than like a lot of the other actors. Like he really Definitely. just stands out from everyone else. Definitely. He's great. Yeah. He shoots lightning at the at the monster. <laughs> I mean, not him specifically. He raises yeah. the body up during the lightning storm, and this is enough to. Uh, I guess it's it, it's fascinating because it's not actually the lightning. Yeah. But it's the the light rays that are beyond ultraviolet. Yes. Which he has discovered the rays, Ian. The rays as being the origin of life. <laughs> so it's the actual light rays that are bringing the monster to life. Yes. And when they lower it back down, the hand moves and we get the classic line. It's alive. He's alive. And him saying, I know what it feels like to be gods. Yeah. Which apparently was cut from, I don't know, probably not the theatrical run, but later runs. Mm. Because it was kind of deemed as being like really sacrilegious (laughs) and like, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And being like, I'm a god, even though that's like the whole point of the story. Yeah. And it had to be restored in later versions oh, of wow. the film. Yeah, but it was cut at a certain point. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, there's a part with Elizabeth and the friend talking to the dad, but let's get back to the monster. Yeah. And the reveal. I have to say, when the door opens and he's standing backwards. Yeah. That's so creepy. It is. It's so effective. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I haven't seen this homaged in other monster movies. Because mm-hmm. it's so, un- it, just the subtlety of like a door opening, but the person's not facing you. Yeah. Like, that's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. But then he slowly turns around and we see the classic Frankenstein. Yeah. Boris Karloff uh, playing the monster. And his just, like, kind of shuffling gait, the heavy-lidded eyes. Yeah. The kind of, like, moaning sounds. I mean, this completely defined these types of movies forever. And every piece of media that we consume now involving the story of Frankenstein is directly tied to this film and this portrayal. Uh, Yeah, you're either doing the classic Frankenstein or you have to like specifically go against this. But like this visual look of Frankenstein is like owned by Universal. Yeah. Like this is like their creation and like they like own the rights to it as far as I understand. And it's just 
It's so classic and iconic. The bolts, the flat top head is great. Mm-hmm. The suit. The suit. I'm like, why is he wearing a suit? And it's the the, the really interesting thing is when you think of Frankenstein, it, the monster in the film, you think of him being huge. Yeah. Right. But he's not really. No. And honestly, I think just the ill-fitting suit yeah. with the two short sleeves mm-hmm. and the big boots and everything else just gives you this large impression. Yeah. But he's actually not like all that much taller than anyone else. He's not else. eight feet tall. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even, I mean, he's probably maybe six feet tall or something, but like yeah. he's actually not that big. Mm-hmm. Um, Boris Karloff, though, it's really interesting. So when this film came out, he had, like, bottom billing to all the other stars of the film. Yeah. And he was an older actor uh, when this movie was made. He was 44. Wow. And so kind of a late bloomer in terms of, like, acting careers. Yeah. And apparently the director, I don't know if he was jealous or just had, like, anger issues or something, but he, like, was kind of upset with how much attention Boris got, like, on set as the monster. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, like, punished him by in the scene later on when he has to carry um frankenstein up to the windmill yeah he made him do that take over and over with the real actor oh my god and it's super sad because like i guess he like really hurt his back doing that and he suffered from back problems like the rest of his life oh my god in a lot of his movies apparently he he has a cane Uh um just because his he had very severe back problems. But Boris Karloff, uh, he would later star in The Mummy mm-hmm. as The Mummy and reprise his role as Frankenstein, I think, two more times. Yeah. And he just became a fixture of, I think, the horror genre in its yeah. infancy. Yeah. Just from this movie to The Bride of Frankenstein, like, suddenly he got top billing. Yeah. Like, his name, Karloff, was huge on the poster for Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, so it's really cool that he got so much credit for this role. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, if you think of the movie Alien, yeah. the guy who was the alien, the xenomorph, mm-hmm. like, like, no one acknowledged him no as or gave him any credit for that role or his performance in that role like a lot of times these actors don't get credit for this kind of thing yeah so it's really cool that this launched boris karloff's career and he became famous for it definitely and he does such a great job with the monster yeah he really does between the script and the performance he gives like uh and i think this scene in particular after his introduction Mm -hmm. when they retract like the roof and he sees the sun. Yeah. And he's kind of like reaching out for it. And it's really sad. It's very sad. I think it establishes right away that like this is a tragic figure yeah. in many ways. And I like that that aspect is kept from the book as well. Yeah. Yeah, like, we never get the intelligent Frankenstein in the no. film version. But, like, you still do always... There is this sympathy, like, he does feel like a child throughout the film Mm -hmm. and not knowing anything. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, he is mistreated by Fritz and by some of the others because he's super strong and acts out and is afraid of fire, apparently. Uh, But Fritz, he, like, hangs Fritz. Yeah, I was not... I'm like, how does he know how to do that? (laughs) (laughs) That was, like, a really weird way of revealing how Fritz died. Yeah. Because you're kind of just like, wait, what? Fritz is dead now? Yeah. Not only is Fritz dead, but like he's hanged. Yeah. Like of all the ways, 
Frankenstein, like he, of all the way he, he's really strong, he, right? Yeah. Like just throw him against a wall really hard, like strangle him. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what led to that decision specifically, but he kills Fritz and Frankenstein and the doctor um, are, are like, okay, okay. This is a bad idea. Let's <laughs> maybe we should kill him. Let's reverse this a little bit. So they uh, managed to struggle with the monster and inject him with a um, concoction that knocks him out. Yeah. And they have him subdued now. Yeah. And Frankenstein, this is too much for him. He freaks out and passes out. And then they're like, we need to get him home. He's pushed himself too hard. Uh, Elizabeth, you take him home. And uh, the Dr. Waldman, um, I'll take care of this. I'll make sure that the creature gets destroyed. Yeah, just leave it to me. Just, just It'll all be fine. Leave me alone by myself with this this monster. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Yes. So let's talk about the book now at this uh, cliffhanger of a moment. <laughs> yes. Um, as you recall, the doctor just created the monster. He immediately became ill. And now he's on his way back home. Yes, only to find out that his younger brother, William, has been murdered. And he comes back home. Everyone is devastated. And then the servant who lives in their house, who's been kind of like a nanny to his younger brother, because his brother was like five. Uh, which, wait, I don't understand. He's probably not five. Because he's been away I, for six years. And his mom oh, died right before he left. I do feel like they said he was like five, though, didn't they? I don't know. That's a really good. Qu- <laughs> and like Frankenstein talks about him so fondly. Yeah. Like, oh, poor William. But I'm like, you didn't know him. He couldn't have been that old when you left and you haven't been back. Yeah, I'm getting distracted. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, wait, what? Um. But the the woman who was, like, nursing this child and kind of raised him as their servant is framed for the murder because they find, like, a necklace that the boy was wearing in her purse, basically. Yeah. And they're like, she stole it. And she, like, can't account for, like, how she got it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, just say you found it on the ground. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ. But she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't kill him, but I also don't know where I got this. Yeah. And God knows that I'm innocent. And I'm like... Shut up, Justine. <laughs> Get a lawyer. Um, but Frankenstein knows it was the monster. Yeah. And in fact, he catches a glimpse of him one night. Yeah. So he knows that the monster is in the area and is like, oh, my God, he's come back for me. He killed my brother. And now he's framing Justine. But he knows all this, Ian, and yet he does nothing. Nope. Here's the thing. And I think Shelley does a really great job of making him a really complicated and unlikable character because he's like, I know that Justine didn't kill my brother, but I can't tell anyone why I know because people will think I'm crazy. And I'm like, okay, so you're just going to let this woman be killed for the murder of a child Mm -hmm. and you're not going to do a damn thing about it? Yeah. Like, he doesn't try to tell anyone the truth. He doesn't like, tell his family what happened. He doesn't try to, like, break Justine out of prison either, which he could have done. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the story that the monster tells him later about that family, there's a whole subplot where, like, somebody's been unjustly accused of a crime, and one person takes it upon themselves to break that person out of prison. Yeah. And I'm like, 
Probably was easy back then. I'm you could you could have done that, and instead he's just like, "Oh, I feel so bad." And literally, Justine is hung. She was killed for this, and he's like, "Oh, I feel so guilty. I'm so sad." And he's like, "I got sick again because I was really sad, and I just I want to murder him so badly." <laughs> like he's just he feels so bad for himself in yeah. these moments where I'm like, "You did all of this." This is all of, this is your fault. (laughs) Uh, You know, I kind of wish the book is really close to creating this ambiguity as to whether the monster even exists. Yeah. Because like when he created him, he was like in a insane state of mind. Yeah. And like then the monster just happens to disappear as soon as he made it. Mm -hmm. And he's the only one who ever encounters it. And anyone else who encounters it is killed. Yeah. And I feel like you could almost just slightly tweak this story where it'd be like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Yeah. Or that he is just killing people. But like he has this fantasy going on in his mind. Yeah. But like there's just kind of a few things here and there that like contradict that story. I guess the whole ending too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I felt like that could have been an interesting thing to play off of. And it was so close to doing that, but just not quite. Yeah, I think the fact that Justine is killed here and Frankenstein does nothing says a lot about his character. Oh, yeah. And from then on, as I'm reading it, I was very much like, well, you're kind of a shitty person, so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't much care what happens. But, like, to be fair, I don't... I, I don't think you're really supposed to like Frankenstein that much. No, either. I don't think you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, no, I don't think you're saying that. But like you're kind of watching like all these other people in his life being killed for his stupid mistake. Yeah. And you're kind of more sympathizing with like those people around him. Yeah. And like Frankenstein, you're just left to like read about it and like witness these atrocities occur and being like, uh, I kind of can't do anything, even though Frankenstein really probably could do a whole lot. To Frankenstein could have killed himself at any moment. That's true. Because, like, <laughs> at a certain point, he knows for sure that, like, this is all about me. Yeah. And I could just end it. Or he could have, like, got really jacked, like, trained <laughs> to go and or gone off it to actually go kill the monster at any point in his life, Ian. Yeah. At any point. Like, his brother's murdered. This poor woman is framed for it. Later on, other family members are killed. And it's only at the end when his wife is murdered that he's like, okay, now I'm going to, like, really go after this monster. Like, he could have done that at any time. And, in fact, like, there are other moments where he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna kill this guy. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to kill him. And I'm like, you're not going to kill him. You've been sick every other month for, like, five years. He's a very frail man, Adina. <laughs> like, a... a- a cool breeze will just, like, knock him on his back exactly. and knock him out for, like, six months. Like, he should have been training. Like, if he really cared, he could have trained. He could have, like, gotten really good at using guns or, you know, bows and arrows or we, whatever. Like, whatever weapons they have. We need a training montage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He could have done anything. And in cho- instead, he chose to just be mopey. And that's why I hate him. He's a very mopey, mopey man. Anyway, he decides to mope in the Alps because <laughs> he's like, ah, uh, nature will restore my soul. Uh, but the monster is waiting there for him. It's just really, he's like in this like ice field mm-hmm. and he sees the monster approach him from the distance and 
he like kind of tries to attack him, but he's like, whoops, I made this man eight feet tall, so I can't <laughs> really do much to like physically fight him. And the monster's like, you made me eight feet tall, remember? <laughs> um, but the monster is like, chill out. Like, I want to tell you my story. And if you decide, like, you still want to try to kill me afterwards. You won't, by the way. But if you want to try, you can. You can. And Frankenstein agrees to this and follows him back to this, like, hut uh, that the monster is living in. And it's, like, so interesting, especially just to see the monster suddenly Mm -hmm. in the Arctic, basically. And he's speaking, like, fluently. Mm -hmm. And he's like, sit with me. I'd like to tell you my tale. Yes. And then we get the monster story. The story within a story within a story. And there's one more story tucked away in, in, in that, that one. story. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Frankenstein talk or Frankenstein's monster. See, I'm getting confused. I know. <laughs> it's very easy to confuse them. Um, but the creature talks about, you know, kind of waking up and figuring out how to like use his body. He ends up um, finding this cottage full of people. And he like lives in their shed that's somehow connected to the house, but no one ever finds him in it. They don't use it for anything. I mean, he's there for like well over a year, I think. Yeah. I remember because at first I thought he was in like a shed or an attached part of the house. But then so much time went on. Yeah. And I was like, I must have been confused. Like he must be in the woods nearby or something like that. Nope. But no, he's in their attached garage. (laughs) He's just spying on them. And from this family, he learns language. He learns how to read. He learns everything about the world and families and community and society. He basically just um, becomes a person by watching this family. And it's an old blind man and his two children. And eventually... His son is joined by a woman that he's in love with. There's a whole family backstory about Felix, the son, like breaking this woman's father out of prison. But he's like an Arab. And it's there's a lot of like colonialism, <laughs> like Eurocentric views here that are really problematic. But like the story is uh, really random and doesn't have to do with any of the rest of the plot. No, so. it really doesn't. <laughs> like Walton's story, the man yeah. who Frankenstein is talking to, like... His general plot does tie into Frankenstein's pretty well yeah. and effectively, like thematically. This one, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure scholars have written about how actually this story, like, really. I mean, this sounds like a, a novel. Yeah. Like a, like a romance novel or something. Yeah. You know? And, like, there are elements that tie in, like, mishandling of justice and, like, the yes. judicial system which is kind of a theme in the book, Mm -hmm. is present in this backstory. But, like, it's a long part of the book. (laughs) And, like, ultimately, we get nothing from how deep it goes into it. What we do get a lot of, though, is the monster being really drawn to this family and really admiring them and loving them and getting to know them by watching them. He actually helps them. He clears snow from their cottage he brings them firewood every night and he hopes that he can once he learns how to speak and you know use language and talk properly that they will love him and accept him as part of their family spoiler alert they do not (laughs) (laughs) he appeals to the old blind man first which is smart because you can't see him um but unfortunately they're interrupted by the rest of the family coming in and they're so horrified by what they see in the monster that they cast him out. Yeah. And it's 
so, so sad. It is. Like, the monster, like, just had such hopes. Yeah. Had such love for this family and just wanted to be accepted by them. Mm -hmm. And, like, tried to even plan it out to be as, like, as good of an introduction as he could, like, through yeah. the old man first, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But the whole plan just falls apart, and the family ends up moving away, mm-hmm. and the monster's just, like, left alone. Yeah, and he's devastated, and at this point, like, he finds in the coat that he stole from Frankenstein's lab, like, his Frankenstein's letters and his address, basically, and so he's like, all right, I'm gonna find this guy who made me, because... If nobody will, like, accept me or love me, at least this man owes me something because he made me. Yeah. So he uh, travels to Geneva to find Frankenstein, happens to stumble across a small boy out in nature while he's traveling. And then he's like, I know, I'll kidnap this boy and raise him as my own because he's, like, young enough that he'll accept me until the boy is like, ew, you're disgusting. And he's (laughs) like, I'll kill you instead. (laughs) (laughs) When he finds out that the young boy is related to Frankenstein. Yeah. And this, like, for him... He's like, well, I'll get my revenge now. And he that that's what leads him to kill the boy. Time to try murder. I, I think it's so funny because like, you know, when the boy is found dead, you're like, well, obviously the monster killed him. Yeah. Then when you run into the monster, when Frankenstein runs into him, the monster's like, please yeah. hear my tale. And at the end, if you're still upset, that's OK. So you're thinking like, oh, he probably didn't kill the kid. And then yeah. he's like, then I killed your brother. <laughs> And I'm like, oh. <laughs> anyway, do you still feel bad for me? Yeah. It's like, I thought there was going to be some twist or something to that part of the story where it wasn't what you expected. But no, it was exactly what Frankenstein thought pretty much. Exactly. And he tells Frankenstein, he's like, listen, you have to make me a partner. You have to make me a woman that's like me because nobody else will accept me. Like, you don't even like me. I know I killed your brother, but it seems like you just don't like how I look. And like everybody else is just horrified by me. The only way that I'll be able to find anyone that will accept me is if you make someone like me. And I promise we'll go off and live in South America where nobody else lives. There are no people in South America. So uh, everyone will be safe if we go there. (laughs) We'll go somewhere deserted. Like, I don't know. All all of South America. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's really funny like that that part just like glazed over my or passed over my brain i didn't even think about that um yeah i really find this part of the story really fascinating yeah because now frankenstein is given this dilemma mm-hmm. which it's like i've created this horrifying being right yeah which i don't even think i could probably kill if i wanted to yeah and he's telling me that if I make another one of him, that they'll He'll go away. That they'll both go away forever. Yeah. And it's like, what a dilemma. Well, and the monster appeals to him and he's like, listen, I've always wanted to be a good person. Yeah. But I was turned into this murderer because no one loves me. And kind of being like, it's your fault. You made me like this. Do something about it. Yeah. And kind of say, and almost putting the blame on Frankenstein and being like, if you don't make me this other, if if you don't make me this woman, I'm going to go off and murder more people. <laughs> like, I don't have any reason not to. Yeah. Like, give me a reason to not murder. Yeah. This is like, 
This is the ultimate I didn't ask to be born, Dad. Yes, yes. Like, really. It's like the ultimate version of that story or that argument. And it also ties into that idea of, like, you know, what does it say of parental responsibility and, like, how kids turn out? I'm not saying that, like, oh, if your child is, like, a terrible person, it's all the parents' fault. But you do always wonder, like, you know, were they born that way? Mm-hmm. Was it the environment they were raised in? When you think about criminals and, you know, murderers or people who end up in dire situations and make really bad decisions, like what led them to that? You yeah. know, how were they raised? And like, just like what horrible things did they go through? And how kind of this idea about murderers and criminals being made from their circumstances and not necessarily like being born bad. And I think this is a really revolutionary idea for the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. A lot of people, especially when you factor in religion into the idea, it's mm-hmm. like your choice, like, you know what I mean? It's like your sin, like that kind of inherentness to it and like not even considering circumstances. Yeah. You know, I also think it's too true too. like if you consider it relating it to like like, everyday adults deciding to have a child. Yeah. And, like, you know, so many couples will say, we're going to have a baby, or we want to have a baby, we're having a baby. And it's like, yeah, it will be a baby, but then it's going to be an adult. Yeah. Like, you're creating a human being. You're creating an adult. And that's horrifying. It is. (laughs) Like, you're creating a whole, like, imagine giving birth, and, like, the next day, it's, like, a full-grown person. Yeah. Like, that's weird and terrifying and like if people thought of it that way like it would like you almost need to be tricked into being like we want this cute little yeah fat chunky little baby and you know but like in 20 years it's a full-grown person yeah uh and and this is playing with that idea it is yeah for sure that that kind of making it feel twisted and like Mm -hmm. unsettling Yeah, and I just want to take a little bit of a break here and talk about Mary Shelley a little bit. Tell me. I could give you, honestly, I could do a whole podcast episode on this woman because she has the most fascinating life of almost anyone I've ever read about. Her mother um, is Mary Wollstonecraft, who wrote A Vindication on the Rights of Women. She was like one of the earliest feminists, feminists, like wrote prominently, uh, ended up marrying Mary Shelley's father, William uh, Godwin, who was uh, like early anarchist, mm. really like criticized government, religion. He was like an atheist, did not believe in marriage, um, a lot of other things. But he and Mary's mother ended up getting married because like at the time, the ideas that a lot of people believed in were not really great in practice. Yeah, And so these ideas of like free love and marriage being really awful for women we're also like, yeah, but women could not survive without marriage also. Yeah. And really sad, um, Mary's mother died only a few days after giving birth to her. So she was raised by her father and stepmother, grew up in this really literary environment. And then when she was 16, she met Percy Shelley. Yeah. And he was already really like, I don't know if he was like a well-known poet at this time, but he was like um, kind of well-regarded. Yeah. He was married. Oh. She's 16. He's married. Wait, how old is he? 22. Okay. And uh, already had a kid, I think. Oh, my God. And um, they fall in love. And she would take him to her mother's grave to meet. And (laughs) they declared their love at her mother's grave. 
Some people say that they fucked on her mom's grave or near it. Uh, I That's the first Unclear. thing I wondered, <laughs> to be fair. Because they did um, have sex for the first time in that area. So it was maybe on her mother's grave or near it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but they were super drawn to each other intellectually and physically. They became lo- lovers and ran away together um, to Europe. Her father did not approve. They traveled with her stepsister. Okay. Who Percy also had an affair with. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, when they were traveling with Byron in Switzerland, when she actually wrote uh, or got the idea for Frankenstein, they were not married. They were lovers. She had already had her first child and lost it. And um, her... Uh, stepsister who had an affair with her lover was now having an affair with Byron. Jesus Christ. She ended up having a kid with him. It's this whole thing. But basically, um, Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley were only able to marry each other because Percy Shelley's wife, who he had like another kid with while he was still with Mary. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Killed herself by throwing herself into a river. Oh, my God. When she was pregnant. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I'm not a huge fan of Percy Shelley, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah. he sounds like the worst type of person to me. Like, kind of fucked his wife over to be with Mary and drove her to suicide. Wow. And then was like, okay, we can get married now. <laughs> but um, tragically, Mary had five pregnancies in her life. And she and Percy were only together for probably, like, Eight years, okay. I'm going to say, because then he dro- he drowns. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but during that time, she was pregnant five times, and all of her children died except one. Wow. So her first child died. She had two children that lived, um, and then they both died. And then she had another child who was the one that lived. And then her fifth pregnancy was a miscarriage and she almost died from that miscarriage. Man. Um, And apparently Percy saved her life um, in that situation. But then after that, you know, Percy drowned. There are rumors also that she saved a part of his heart and kept it kind of like locked up in a locket or some something. That's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this woman had a life, Ian. She really lived. um, But I think she faced a lot of tragedy and death in her life. I mean, when you think about the fact that like her mother died right after being like she was born and her mother was like this huge feminist and had all these ideas and she was brought up with these really revolutionary standards, but then was like, so confined by being a woman. Yeah. And like Percy had multiple affairs when they were together with all these other women. And Mary allowed this. And I think intellectually agreed with the idea of free love. Yeah. But I think you cannot have equality with the sexes and free love and this idea when women do not have access to birth control, yeah. when women do not have access to abortion, and when women don't have access to health care. Yeah. Because, you know, she had these miscarriages. She had these children that died in infancy from these sicknesses. And, like, she went through so much. And I just think that contrast is really interesting of, like, the things that she and Percy and their group of friends believed in. But the reality of the life that they lived in this society 
with these social standards and with this lack of equality and access to good health care and options for women. Yeah, it's very to look at her life and consider the time that she was living in. And like you said, with her parents being as revolutionary as they were, there's so many interesting components to that. Yeah. And additionally, that like, I know she had already gone through loss when she wrote Frankenstein, like her mom dying. Her first child dying. Her first child dying. Um, But like, she experiences so much loss afterwards. Yeah. Which is like ironic i don't know considering but it's like similar to frankenstein that, exactly yeah but she wrote it before she had experienced mm-hmm. so much more loss that was still going to happen in her life yeah uh wow i wish i could talk about her more she is such a fascinating i know history. i genuinely would i'm going to definitely pick your brain about her more <laughs> after we're done with the episode because i'm super interested <laughs> frankenstein decides to He agrees to the monster's request to create a mate for him. Mm -hmm. Um, He figures it's probably the best solution. And the monster's like, cool, fun. Um, I'm just going to follow you. I'll follow you around. (laughs) You won't see me, but I'll be there. Yeah. And I'll be waiting for my bride. Mm -hmm. Which I, I thought, I didn't know this part of the story. And it's interesting that, like, obviously the sequel to the film Frankenstein is the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. They pulled the sequel concept kind of from the source material. Definitely. Uh, He travels to England and then Ireland? Scotland. Scotland. And then to Ireland. (laughs) And then Ireland. I don't know why he's like, I don't know, Ireland, it just has the vibe I'm looking for to create this big woman. I I just want a really tall woman, right? (laughs) Um, So he begins his process anew. He's creating this new monster, this new creature. Yeah. And he's kind of like really not wanting to do it. <laughs> he's not into it. He's literally like, the last time I did this, I was uh, having a psychotic episode. Yeah. So I wasn't aware of what I was doing, really. And now I am stone cold sober <laughs> watching myself do this. And it is disgusting. He's like, I need some of that crazy juice back to get yeah. through this. And he sees the monster like watching him. Yeah. And he kind of in this sudden urge and decision he turns around and just kind of with his own hands destroys the woman that he's working on yeah and this throws the monster into like a fit he's just like enraged Mm -hmm. and he basically just vows vengeance upon frankenstein he tells him i will be with you on your wedding night which you could take in a couple different ways. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly can. <laughs> I mean, Frankenstein sure does. Frankenstein is like, oh, you will kill me on my wedding night at the moment when I've reached perfect happiness. This is when I will die. Yeah. Um, I have heard arguments for like some uh, queer coding within this story, you know, some hints yeah. of Frankenstein. I don't know. Frankenstein is engaged to this beautiful woman that he apparently loves. But he doesn't really talk to ever but and he like never sees her. No, and he literally does everything but marry her. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ah, I just gotta, I gotta just go make another monster actually, but then we <laughs> then can get we married. Then we can get married, I yeah. promise. He just keeps like putting it back and putting it back. 
and like also seems to have more trouble creating a woman than he did a man like yeah. obviously you can argue it's just creating another monster but the idea that this time it's a woman and he's struggling with it is interesting yeah but regardless frankenstein gives or the monster excuse me <laughs> frankenstein's monster gives him this very ominous warning and then uh gets in a little rowboat and rows <laughs> away from the island yeah, and uh, Frankenstein gets in a rowboat and drops all his uh, equipment in the ocean, then gets, like, lost at sea and turns up in Ireland from Scotland. Like, he blew all the way across the ocean there. Uh, and he gets to the island and everyone's like, oh, you killed this man that was just dropped off here. And he's like, I mean, I just got here myself. I don't know what you're talking he's about. He's like, I don't even know where I am. Yeah, and they're like, this man, and it's Henry, his best friend. He was strangled. Oh. Uh. Poor Henry. Poor Henry. He was such a good soul. He like nursed. I know. He, Frankenstein he, back to hell. He nursed Frankenstein from the worst hangover anyone's ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he was killed by the monster. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, I mean, you did this, right? <laughs> I don't understand why he was blamed for it, honestly. And he was in prison for a while while also being very ill. Finally, his dad shows up and is like, yeah, he didn't do this. And everyone's like, okay. Here's something I really wonder about. And this also ties back into, like, the monster not being real. Every person who's strangled has hand marks on them, right? Yeah. Like, they're described, like, the finger marks, the hand marks on Mm -hmm. their throats. Like, couldn't you literally hold up? Yeah. The uh, Frankenstein's hands? And shouldn't the monster's hands be, like, Way way bigger? Yeah. Like, that's something that, like... You would think if they were huge, that would be noteworthy mm-hmm. or they would have considered that before like framing him <laughs> or asking who killed everyone else that, you know, was murdered by the monster. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. That's yeah, just like something. matching Justine's like tiny hands probably yeah. to the monster's hands. Exactly. Like, come on. Yeah. That's yeah. like something that like. I'm very curious. There was no CSI back then, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know how to hold up a hand to a handprint and compare sizes. No. What what is this, CSI Miami? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yes, uh, Victor is in prison for a while until his dad makes a long trip there to, like, get him out. Yeah. And then he's freed. And the police are like, okay. Whatever. Let's get back to the movie where we last left off. Frankenstein had had a little bit of a mental breakdown, had to go home. Dr. Waldman is now in charge of this uh, very well-sedated creature, definitely uh, under a lot of um, drugs. Unfortunately, not enough, though. No. (laughs) Uh, In classic horror movie fashion, when his back is turned, the monster, or I guess he raises his hand behind the doctor and catches him. And strangles him. Mm -hmm. And then he is able to escape into the wilderness and be free to do a murder. Yeah. Finds the little girl. He's like, oh, I love flowers. You love flowers. This is fine. She throws throws the flowers in the water and he's like, great, I'm going to throw you in the water. And then just like yeets her into the (laughs) lake. (laughs) You like that? That's what the teens would say. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I do think this scene is like 
really sad for like everyone because you can just tell the monster just doesn't understand. He doesn't no. know what he's doing. He doesn't like. It's not. There's no uh, malicious uh, intent. Yeah, yeah. It's just. He just doesn't understand it. He drowns the little girl and it's mm-hmm. super sad. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Frankenstein is like, let's get married to Elizabeth. And the dad is like, great. The <laughs> The wedding has been like on hold. Everything's there. Let's do We've it. We've just been waiting for like the drop of a hat to like get you married. So let's do it. Can we just take a tiny moment and talk about the dad? Frankenstein's dad oh. in this movie. Oh, yeah. Because he is like the biggest drama queen <laughs> in this movie. Like, he's so grumpy at the beginning about his son not marrying Elizabeth. He's like, I've been wanting them to get married for all these years. And then he's like, the wedding must happen. And then when they go visit him at his uh, watchtower, he's like, what is this place? What's happening? Let me in here. And is like going up the steps super curmudgeonly. And then like... In this scene, when his son is finally getting married, he's, like, in such high spirits. He's giving, like, drinks to the staff. Oh, yeah. He's, like, getting the whole town in celebration. He's just having, like, the best time of his life. He's been so mad at his son because he's so good at weddings. Yeah. He's just like, I just want to have a wedding. I got I, my speech ready. Yeah, I'm really good at just, like, chatting people up. Like, I'm, I'm the life of the party. You got to let me party. Yeah. Uh, so he's, like, in his element at the wedding, but it's so funny. <laughs> I also have to say, just briefly, there is a part where everyone is outside partying, and I swear to God, there are three different men on three different instruments playing different th- songs. three different songs at the exact same time. It sounds time. awful, Ian. I was like, I tried to, like, I listened through the whole scene trying to, like, pick up where the beat was no. or the, the melody or what was going on. None. And it's just like... Everyone doing their own fucking thing at the exact same time for quite a while. Yeah, the party is broken up by news that uh, Dr. Waldman is dead. And then later the villager with his daughter that was drowned comes in and they realize that the monster is loose somewhere. And Frankenstein is like, oh, no, the monster might be somewhere in this house. I know I'm going to lock Elizabeth in this room for her own safety. And... (laughs) They're searching the castle because they think the monster's in the castle. Of course, the monster sneaks into Elizabeth's room. Yeah. This was one of the creepier scenes that I thought was, like, really effective where he's just kind of silently, like, stalking in the background and she doesn't know or hear him. Yeah. uh, Until she sees him and screams. Everyone tries to get in the room and they're like, what idiot locked the room? (laughs) We can't get in. Yeah. Frankenstein's like, I'm that idiot. And he like has to like let them in. Luckily, Elizabeth is not dead. Yeah. Uh, The monster has fled, though. And then everyone in what could be the origin of this cliche. The angry mob. The angry mob with torches. Yeah. In the small village. (laughs) They organize. They uh, are broken up into different parties and they're sent out to find uh, the killer. Yes. Frankenstein has joined them. He must destroy this creature that he created. And there's this scene where they're kind of in the mountains and the creature's sort of stalking him, ends up getting the jump on him And carrying him off to a windmill. Yes. Uh, The whole town is in pursuit. The monster carries Frankenstein all the way to the top where he eventually wakes up. They do a little a little chase, a a little dance dance around the windmill. Uh, (laughs) 
I don't know if Frankenstein tried to drop or tried to like jump off the balcony. Yeah. Because the monster at first is like, no, no, you're not going anywhere. And, and then, then he's he picks like, them up. And then he eats them off the, the windmill. Yeah. And in fact, he hits like a windmill blade on his way down. And I'm like, oh, he's dead. But apparently he's not dead. Uh, no, he's not. He just, yeah, it's like a rag doll that like yeah. is thrown off the top. and just like limply hits the windmill blade. It's like honestly really funny. And then the villagers are like, great. Uh, Frankenstein's out of the windmill. Now set the windmill on fire. And I really, I felt so bad for the monster. Oh my in God. This scene, it's, Ian. So, it's really awful. It's really sad. They're like, he's afraid of fire. And they set the whole place on fire. And he's just like reacting to the fire and is really scared and then gets like trapped under a beam and then it just cuts away and we're like, oh my God, he just like died in that fire. It's so awful. It's really, uh, and Boris Karloff, like the acting of him being scared, like his noises, you know yeah. what I mean? He like, it's no longer these grunts. It's yeah. like kind of like more of a higher pitched frightened sound. Mm -hmm. It's really upsetting. It's very upsetting. Super upsetting. Um, but yeah, uh, the monster dies in the windmill. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> could come back and want a bride or something like that. Uh, it's funny that you said about like, I mean, I guess Frankenstein lived. Yeah. Because originally he didn't. I was going to say he looked pretty dead in that scene. Uh, yes. <laughs> originally he was meant to die. Yeah. Which is why later when they're like, mm, that's too dark. We want him to live. In that closing scene... You know how he's like in the back of that room? Yeah, with Elizabeth. And the dad comes out and is like, I'll drink the wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not Frankensteiner. That's not Clive. Oh. Colin. Clive. Mm -hmm. Colin Clive. My, I always forget his name. Colin Clive. <laughs> uh, I keep making sure I'm like, I can't call him Calvin Klein. It's <laughs> <laughs> always what I want to say. It's Colin Clive. Um, that's not the actor, because when they decided to make him live, Colin Clive was in England, and they did, couldn't do that final shot with him. Uh, so they got a like a stand-in actor to oh be gosh. way that's in why the it's background. Such an awkward scene. That's why it's so weird, yeah, that you don't see him. I think it made more sense for him to die, because he even tells his friend, like, you take care of my fiance. Yeah. Like, you basically being like, you be with her now. I need you to fuck my wife when I'm dead. <laughs> I just need to know that someone that I trust is yeah. doing it. <laughs> and that's uh, the that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I Frankenstein should have died, though. Yeah, like, he should have. Like, for real. Like, yeah. he needed to die for... His sins. For his sins. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is the end of the film. Now let's discuss the end of the book. Yes. And compare. So despite the fact that uh, the monster has just killed his best friend and also threatened to be with him on his wedding night, Frankenstein is like, you know what? Now is the time to get married to Elizabeth. <laughs> Once again, questioning uh, the the sexuality of Frankenstein and how committed he is to this relationship. Yeah. He's like, now that my wife will be in danger when I marry her. I mean, he literally thinks that he is going to die, but he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll marry her and... Uh, Make her a widow. Like, I'm yeah. fine with that. Which, like, but also, why would he think that the monster would kill him when the monster has only killed people that he knows? I know, and that he cares about. Like, the monster had the chance to kill him. Many times. Why would the monster threaten, 
I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna uh, kill you on your wedding night for some reason, even though I could do it right now. He's very stupid, Ian. He's very dumb. He's very self-absorbed. He's like, oh, the monster will kill me because he's mad at me, despite the pattern that yeah. he's literally killed anyone that he cares about instead to make him miserable. And of course, that's what happens. Uh, he and Elizabeth get married, and then that night. As Frankenstein is like prowling around being like, got to have my gun ready in case he kills me. Uh, Elizabeth is strangled in their bedroom. Yeah. Uh, Frankenstein is like, oh. <laughs> That's what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. right, right. Um, he finally tries to tell the authorities about what he did. Yeah. And I mean... No one believes him. No, which it makes sense, but also he still should have just tried this like a long time ago. Yeah. He should have been like, hey, you're not going to believe this thing I tell you, but if any more murders happen, maybe you'll believe it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, But this uh, leads Frankenstein to the conclusion that he finally has to take responsibility mm-hmm. for what he's done. And seek the monster out himself. Yeah. He goes on this epic journey uh, pursuing the monster over continents, basically. Through all these countries, uh, eventually ends up in the North Pole area. I love that, like, the monster wants him to follow him. Yeah. Like, leaves clues for him so Frankenstein doesn't lose him and is still kind of on his tail. Um, And I'm like... The whole time I'm wondering, you know, what are you going to do when you find him? You were such a, like, sad little man. Like, <laughs> you weren't even bulking up like I wanted you yeah. to do. Like, He wasn't taking that protein powder. No. Um, but they get to the Arctic, and they're in hot pursuit of each other. And I think this is really interesting. Like, Frankenstein is literally, he sees visions in his dreams of his loved ones who are dead. Yeah. And he feels like they are giving him strength to continue and that he has this mission of vengeance that uh, kind of keeps him going. I, I found this whole part to be so fascinating. The idea that like, because he's pursuing the monster, right? And in your mind, at first, you're like, how's he like able to track this thing? Like, yeah, basically all over the world, it seems. Mm -hmm. But he talks about how the monster will sometimes leave him clues. Yeah. Or like if he goes through a really rough terrain, like the monster will literally leave him food. Yeah. And be like, here you go. Catch up to me, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Catch me if you can. Yep. And just this idea that like they're just stuck in this perpetual cycle where like, Victor almost needs to chase the monster and the monster needs to be chased. Yeah. And it's like, that's just like what their whole relationship has been condensed into this one kind of dynamic. dynamic Yeah. That they're just acting out Mm -hmm. almost like they wouldn't know what to do if they actually like caught up to one another. Yeah. Um, I just find that super fascinating. Yeah, and eventually, you know, with the ice breaking up and Frankenstein being rescued by the ship, telling his story to Walton, you know, he is at the end of his physical abilities. Like, he's been sickly this whole story. Finally, he's like, I've been traveling through uh, some frigid temperatures for a long time, and he gets really sick. I think this part, too, is interesting because they're trapped by ice in this area, and uh Walton's crew is like, hey, I know we signed up to do this Arctic exploration thing, but when the ice clears, uh, we're going to go. Yeah. 
And you can decide to agree with that or we'll mutiny. <laughs> yeah. And Waltman, Walton, I want to say Waltman. <laughs> Walton is like, oh, but like, then I'll be seen as like a coward and I didn't fulfill my destiny. But this idea of like, pursuing ambition and achievement for the wrong reasons is coming up again. Yes, yeah. And it's funny because, like, Frankenstein actually tries to, like, rally the crew to be like, no, you're doing this for, like, you know, glory. and, and Yeah, you're braving the elements. You're defying God. And, yeah. like, you're, you're being brave men, strong. And, like, yeah, like, despite literally everything he's gone through. Yeah. And his whole life basically being a cautionary a tale. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, you should do this thing, though. Yeah. Don't learn a lesson from me. Like, just keep going. But then the crew is like, no. And eventually, you know, Walton agrees. And then Frankenstein, as he's dying, is basically like, listen, I'm dying. If you see the monster, please kill him. Uh, Also, don't try to live an ambitious life. Just, like, try to be a good person and, like, you know, enjoy life. Don't do stupid shit just for the sake of it. (laughs) And then... (laughs) (laughs) finally he's only had like 10 like deathly illnesses this entire story yeah um walton though one night goes and discovers after frankenstein has passed discovers the monster on the ship Mm -hmm. uh standing over frankenstein's body yeah and mourning yeah and he's devastated i mean this is literally his only link to the world you know even though they hated each other Like, it was somebody who knew him, and now that person is gone. Yeah. And like you were saying, that was their dynamic. They wouldn't have known what to do with each other if they found each other, and now that part of that dynamic is gone because Frankenstein is dead. And the monster can't fulfill that dynamic or even find a place in the world without Frankenstein. He doesn't have Frankenstein to torture. He doesn't have Frankenstein to kill all his family members. (laughs) You know, he doesn't have Frankenstein to, like, yell at um so he's like yeah i'm gonna go kill myself now yeah he's gonna go (laughs) set himself on fire yeah damn and it's so because he also kind of is lamenting about (laughs) i i i wrote my notes it's a grief off because like the monster's like uh you think frankenstein suffered like my whole life like (laughs) yeah he's suddenly telling walton all his shit and walton's like oh why do people always do this like is it my face do people just trust me and want to tell, <laughs> and tell me, me all their, st- all their, their life problems? Stories. <laughs> <laughs> but like the monster is kind of like lamenting to him about like he didn't ever want to be like a murderer. Yeah. Like it was circumstances, but like he always did kind of like hate himself for what he did. And um, yeah, just kind of this final like goodbye to Walton about. Yeah. Like. My life sucked, and now I'm going to go set myself on fire, but... Um, it's a really dark ending to this story. It is. It's super dark. And I like that, you know, we know that Frankenstein is not a good person. Like, we know that. Yeah. And we are... But we are made to sympathize with him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think it's the same way with the monster just reversed, where he's definitely not a good person. But we sympathize with him, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think there's good and bad in both of them. 
like, yeah, like Frankenstein had all the opportunity growing up. Like he, he came from like a really good family, despite yeah. like some, you know, the tragedy of his mom dying, like good friends, supportive family sent off to an education. He had all that good stuff and then was just really misguided. Yeah. And then kind of lazy. Whereas like the monster seemed to really want to try to be like a good person, like a genuine like he was trying to be proactive about that. Yeah. It was like ultimately like rejected by society. Mm-hmm. Um, but still gave into that evilness. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes, he faced like all these circumstances, but he still chose to kill people, mm-hmm. you know, despite what you, the circumstances that you have in life, you still make choices, you know? Yeah. And Frankenstein made choices and the monster made choices. And I think it led to them being terrible people in general. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them, yeah. Uh, but that's it, though. Yeah, that's where the book ends. And Adina, <laughs> I'm tossing this one to you. Which one did you prefer, the book or the movie? This is a tough one because they both are so iconic and groundbreaking and interesting. But I think I can confidently say that I prefer the book. Mm-hmm. I think the book raises a lot more questions and it's just like so rich in terms of like themes and discussion and content and characters and like i do like the movie and i think the movie does a good job of like portraying that the monster is not just this evil thing like there's more to him and i think that's why it makes the story interesting and the movie engaging and it was super groundbreaking and popular for good reason. But, like, the book is just so fascinating. Yeah. It felt so far ahead of its time it in really so many is. ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, the book is, like you said, so rich in themes and ideas and, like, leading to so many discussions. Uh, there's so much good stuff in there. It does have a lot of, like, even though it's not, like, a huge book, like, there's yeah. still a lot of fat on it that like could have been trimmed or like reworked to be Mm -hmm. more uh important or significant namely the family that the monster is watching like their whole bit was like really long yeah and even parts with frankenstein kind of can drag on a bit yeah like oh he's sick again oh Oh, no no. (laughs) big big shocker um whereas the movie is a tight like hour and 11 minutes. I loved that. Oh God. When I told you. <laughs> I love a short movie. I know. When I told you it was an hour and 11 minutes, you're like, oh my God, that's the best news I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> love a short film. Yeah. Um, It does manage to have, it touches on a lot of those similar themes. Yeah. Um, Very effectively in a relatively short time. And I really admire it for that. Mm -hmm. Because originally, I guess, before uh, James Whale, the director, came on and, like, basically rewrote the the movie, apparently it was a much more straightforward kind of creature feature where the monster was just, like, evil evil and bad and, like, nothing redeeming about him. And he's like, this is dumb. Like, we need to, like, make this much more interesting. And he really reworked the the monster character a lot to make him more sympathetic which Mm -hmm. i think goes so far yeah ultimately though i agree with you i think there's just so much interesting stuff in the book to discuss that like i'm gonna have to go with the book on this one too cool it's a book for both of us let's do lightning round let's do a lightning so first thing uh from the book uh when the monster is watching this family 
I at first thought that the young man and the young woman uh, living in this cottage were married. Yeah. And the old man was one of their dads. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the monster is watching them. So after the old man played a song, uh, they said, So soon as he had finished, the youth began not to play, but to utter sounds that were monotonous and neither resembling the harmony of the old man's instrument nor the songs of the birds. I since found that he read aloud... But at the time, I knew nothing of the signs of the words or letters. But it just sounds so sexual. Like, yeah. they started making, like, weird noises, and I didn't know what they were doing. And I'm like, what? And then you later find out they're brother and sister. <laughs> but there's just, like, so much going on in that moment that I'm oh, like, wait. wait, what's happening here? Like, I think I read it, like, four times before. <laughs> but getting to the part where I'm like, oh, they're reading. Okay. <laughs> So I just want to mention uh, one more thing about Mary Shelley. So her husband and lover, uh, Percy Shelley, was like a really celebrated poet and author um, and intellectual of the time, intellectual of the time. And after he drowned and after he died, Mary Shelley kind of devoted her life to preserving his work, Mm. getting it published, kind of really, you know, putting it out there and kind of maintaining his legacy. She also wrote other books like Frankenstein was not the only book that she wrote, but because she was a woman, uh, a lot of people criticized her work. And in fact, a lot of people doubted that she wrote it (gasps) and assumed that Percy wrote it oh my god yeah and then and yes he encouraged her in her writing in fact like their relationship was very um intellectual in a lot of ways and like i think he's a shitty person but like i didn't know him obviously but they were like (laughs) you know she really loved him yeah and like he really encouraged her writing and was like you know this is your mother's legacy your father's legacy like and um offered her suggestions and like people have gone back and looked at like the manuscripts and everything. And basically the contribute, like the contributions that he made were like probably less than what a modern day editor would contribute now. But for a long time, people were like, Oh, Percy really wrote this. And Mary Shelley didn't. Oh God. Can you believe that nonsense? I can't actually, (laughs) because people are terrible, but like, that's so shitty. Yeah. From the movie, I had to say, so the actress who played Elizabeth, uh, Mae Clark, in an interview, basically talked about how attractive she thought uh, Colin Clive was. Really? Like, there's just this whole (laughs) thing about, like, how handsome he was, and she was like, I mean, luckily I was married, but... (laughs) (laughs) Luckily. (laughs) I know, but she was like, she was thirsty for Colin (laughs) Clive like she fucking wanted him it was really funny to read that's hilarious uh and then just mini one um Boris Karloff often referred to the monster as the dear old boy (laughs) when he talked about him the dear old boy he was British Boris Karloff I think so like yeah he called him the dear old boy and I just I love that so so much uh last for lightning round I just want to mention that family that uh the monster kind of peeps in on like when the woman um joins them who's like engaged or in love with the son of the family she's like from her father is like um uh, from like some kind of oh, he's Tur- Turkish, right? Yeah, 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 some kind of like you know Arabian type situation. But like the stereotypes are so awful in that section, and they're talking about how like she wanted to marry a good Christian Englishman because she didn't want to live in a harem and like live in like sin. And I'm like, yeah, 
cool. That's like what it's like in Turkey for every single woman, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's like really characterized. Or yeah, char- it's a caricature. Yeah, uh, of that situation. It's so ridiculous. So funny. Uh, that's it for lightning round. That's it for our episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, we've already plugged our Patreon to you, so uh, please just consider going to patreon.com slash cover to credits and joining. If you want that hot bonus episode on Bride of Frankenstein and Young Frankenstein. Yes, which will be dropping soon. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a good five-star review. It's very helpful to us. Go a healthy five-star review. Healthy, ripe, five-star. Robust. Robust. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can go to CoverToCredits.com, find all of our social media handles, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. The works. Do it. Do it. Do it all. Uh, Happy spooky month to everybody. Yes. If only it was raining tonight. Like, we've had thunderstorms for so many other episodes we've done. (laughs) But not on Frankenstein, unfortunately. But Yeah, it's okay. Maybe for our next episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll see you then. See you next time. Bye. Bye.